0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our journey through the Hanukkah story. We've gone to some very deep places. We've discovered that roots of Hanukkah go all the way from the beginning of Torah, all the way through the personality of Yaakov and his inner struggles as he took on two roles and tried to marry them both, literally, and through the children and the struggles they had and how bringing all this together is part of the healing process of Hanukkah. And we noted that Yaakov ends up in his struggle through the night limping on his left leg, um, in fact, there's a debate in Jewish law because as a result, we don't eat a uh, certain part of the animal leg, right, the left part, but it, is it really both legs, right, because it's the legs that are damaged. And, and what are the legs? And in sources that Draw from, let's say, Kabbalistic wisdom, they'll talk about different parts of the body, the physical form of the human being has developed to map a structure of inner um, relationships between different attributes, and so each part of our body is an expression of different potential, different capabilities that map themselves onto um, different inner, inner world. So, you know, we talk about how Hashem made the world um, with wisdom and the different things. So you got sort of mental attributes that map into the face and mind of the human. And then we say Lekah Hashem to God. We talk about uh, we talk about um, right? The greatness and kindness of the world, and that becomes manifest in our right hand, the, the dominant hand through which we primarily interact and do things like charity and giving. Guvura also restraint. Part of having two hands is that we can balance ourselves and learn to hold back. Tiferes, inner balance, harmony, where the body becomes one around the heart area. And and that pumps and sort of gives animation to everything else. So we want to have kindness and, and lovingness. But we also want to have boundaries. And we want to be able to marry the two and produce that inner world of integrity and truth. And then our body splits again into two. It becomes a right leg and a left leg. And we talk that netzach and hoid, which we're going to speak about today, which literally means the eternity or kind of the connection to that which will be eternal. And at the same time, hide the glory for the human being. And then it becomes, Yisod becomes the body's ability to, to have a next generation. And, and Malchus, it's, it's what actually happens when, when that child is, is born and created. And it's, so we saw that Yosef and Yehuda, where the Jewish people naturally divide, is around that kind of sense of the part of the body that wants relationship with other, and the part that has to kind of step back and let a new life emerge, what we call Yosef and Yehuda. And of course, these become what will become later in history, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach the son of Yosef of Joseph, and Mashiach ben Yehuda, Mashiach the son of Yehuda, Mashiach ben David, Mashiach the child of King David. And we saw that whilst they seem to connect to one another, they actually have very different modes of interacting with the world. One wants to interact in the world and shine in the world and go through the struggles of the world. And one wants to, to think about the future and see this world purely as its corridor. The of Befnei Olem Abba, the corridor before the world to come and almost not be involved in the world. Right. And they've got different dynamics and, and a lot of tension between them. The, the second, the world of Yehuda fears the world of Yosef, that it will lead to charisma and idolatry and getting too involved in the world and like Greece and all the other problems. And yet the Torah seems to say you need both. And it's in the attributes before what we call Netzach and Hoid, right, the, the if you like, the two legs that give standing to the rest of the body where Yaakov didn't achieve the full perfection that allowed this to, to thing to go wrong, then in fact, the reconciliation takes place. And amazingly, by the way, in the Torah, when the brothers sit down with Yosef, right, and he prepares the meal, V'tavach, tavach, he, he literally ensures the meal is, is shechted correctly according to the Jewish ritual and law. And Rashi there says he made sure to remove the Gid HaNosha, that sinew in front of them. Almost as if he's saying to them, consciously, subconsciously, prophetically, we have been torn apart because we haven't quite worked out this bit where our father was damaged. And that's what we've got to reconcile. And amazingly, the last words of that, tavach leches v'achin, are the words Chanukah. Right? There's hints here all over the place, as we spoke about earlier. What are those two legs? Which characters come along and rectify that? And it's, in fact, the two brothers, just like the body moves from oneness into two over there, the two brothers who are the first brothers in Torah to, who should have been jealous of one another, but weren't, and that is Moshe and Aharon, Moses and Aaron. Everywhere through the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit, the brotherhood breaks down. Kain and Havel, the first brothers, one kills the other. Later on, Avram, Avram has to leave his family of his brothers. His children, Yishmal and Yitzhak, there's brotherhood jealousy. Asa is jealous of Yaakov and wants to kill him. The brothers, the struggle with Yosef and the brothers. But Moshe and Aharon have brotherhood perfected. And in fact, Moshe symbolizes the right leg of the netzach, the connection to eternity. It's through him that Torah itself is manifest in the world, the eternal voice of God. It's through him that the Jewish people are created as a nation that's literally moved from Egypt in a moment that doesn't even exist in time. The moment, the midpoint of the night, in which he creates a nation that is attached to eternity, a nation that is beyond space and time. That's not really for Hanukkah, that's more for Pesach. But he is the attachment of eternity, the connection of a nation to God such that that nation will never really exist in a particular moment of space or time, a nation whose golden era will always be the future, the world as it will be, a nation of netzach of eternity, and Aharon is the one who is going to interact with the people as they are now. Ohev Shalom, loving peace, says the mission in Pirkei Avos. Rodev Shalom, he'll teach us this how you have to be like Aharon, pursuing peace. a Vesabrius, loving every creature out there, just like Yosef does. O makarvan and bring them near to Torah. And when Moshe is given his role, and he sits and argues with God for many days at the burning bush, and at the end he says... Please, God, send with the one who you're normally going to send with. I've grown up in the palace. I do not grow up with the Jewish people. I've grown up in the palace with a Pharaoh removed from the people. The natural leader of the people is my brother Aaron. And God says, don't worry. He'll meet you. He will not have any jealousy over you. He will see your success. And he will rejoice with you being successful. Aaron is going to bring with him the antidote to the struggles of the entire book of Boratius, the book of Genesis. He will show you what real brotherhood is. And all the unresolved issue of of the book of Genesis are going to be resolved in him. And that's going to be the healing of all that wasn't resolved then, all that led to the susceptibility to exile in, in Greece and, and later on in Edom in the Western world and then the Arabian world. He will resolve it all. And of course, this is why that attribute is called hoid, glory. And they bring in the name of the Zohar, right? The Kabbalistic Madrash that Hod this leg, the left leg, right? The one that is going to stand for Aharon the Cohen. That is the eighth of the attributes of God's manifestation in the world. And it shines through Aharon the high priest. It heals that damaged left leg, right? And that is the one that manifests on Hanukkah. So Aharon the Kohen is, of course, the one who's going to manifest on Hanukkah. And of course, it's going to be Aharon. It's the Chashmanoim, the Hasmoneans, who are Kohanim, who are his descendants. They are the ones who fight the Hanukkah. So even though Hanukkah has got to reconcile all the competing parts of the Jewish nation, it's the Kohanim who are going to do it, specifically Aaron's children. And of course, the miracle will happen with the menorah that is Aharon's to light. If you look carefully at the part of the Torah that introduces it all, right? Parashas Tetzaveh. The sedra, the section of the Torah that introduced it. Aaron has not yet really got all the role that he's going to have with all the other priesthood. That comes much later after the golden calf. But he already at this particular point is told he has to light the menorah. The menorah bringing God's presence, the Shekhinah, into the temple... That was already his role because he is the one who can bring brotherhood to the Jewish people. And Eina Shechina show, the Shechina cannot rest amongst, them, unless the shalom, there's peace amongst the people. Unless there's real joy that comes from Ramah when you each see one another, as Aaron does, he sees your success and rejoices. Unless you've got that, the God presence can't rest. Later, after the golden calf, he'll get another job in the temple, which is all that you do with, with offerings and so on, which originally the firstborns were going to. But right from the word go, there was no way to bring the presence of God, no way to light the menorah, the light that shines, revealing the presence of God, without Aharon. And so everything about Hanukkah runs through him. The healing of the nation runs through him. What is it that he brings into the world? And you see something wonderful happens with him and his descendants. And it's this, that in the book of Boratius, in the book of Genesis, we never know if his ancestor, the tribe of Levi, have got it right or wrong. There's a lot of ambivalence around them. On the one hand, we find Yaakov, Jacob criticizing them. For example, Levi and his brother uh, Shimon are the ones who commit the whole, they, they free Dina by doing the trickery around circumcision, and their punishment. They punish um, for the abuse of, of Dina, but they punish by killing. And Yaakov says this was the wrong thing to do the sale of Yosef. They did it. And we learned earlier what might be the positive motives, but ultimately it was a terrible mistake. And Jacob Jacob is, is very reluctant to even give them a proper bracha, a proper blessing at the end of his life. He more gives them a direction of what it would take for them to go right. But later in the Torah, those two tribes come back together. And this time we see that Levi has gone right over a very delicate issue where Shimon's descendants go wrong. What is the episode? Once again, it's the Jewish people's interaction with the world around them. It's when the Midianite women come to seduce the Israelite men and bring them to idolatry. And the worst moment is when the tribe of Shimon, its leader, is in a, is, is in a relationship that involves idolatry and all, the other, all other prohibitions, right in front of the Mishkan, in front of God's own presence. And at that moment, this, this is going to destroy the whole nation. In the midst of God's revelation, it's going to shatter it and bring death and destruction and thousands of Jews are dying. And it's a tribe of Levi who stepped forward, particularly in the character, Pinchas. And in that action, he does an act that appears to be incredibly violent. He ends both their lives, which actually had to happen. But it's an act of which we can't tell immediately if it's right or wrong. And the Gemara Sanhedrin says, the Talmud says that the people were not sure. Is is this right or wrong? They thought it was terrible. The angels thought it was terrible. People thought it was all wrong. And it wasn't even clear what the law is. Moshe himself, Moses didn't know what the law was. And Pinchas came and said, but isn't this the law? And Moshe said, if you're the one who understands it, you've got to go and do it. And the Gemara's conclusion is halachah it's the law of Ein and Cain. Don't teach it to anybody. What do you mean? If it's the law, why wouldn't you teach it? If it's the right, th- if you can't teach it, then it can't be the right law. What's going on? And it's reconciled by the, in the Torah itself. God himself comes in and says, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon a Kain. Pinchas, child of Elazar, the child of Aharon the Kohen. He removed all the anger from the Jewish people. The cano is kinasi. That word kina which we'll translate for now as zealousness, and we'll have to translate it more accurately soon. As he was zealous for my zealousness. And what blessing does he get? You might think the blessing of truth, of standing up and doing the right thing. The blessing of peace, shalom. Peace, but wasn't this violent? And the Zohar HaKadosh, the Holy Zohar, the Holy Kabbalistic Najash says, Ein kanaus below rechimu. There is no kanaus that is not out of love. No zealousness, not out of love. What does this mean? You see, there are acts where whether the act is right or whether the act is wrong cannot be judged by the act alone. The act alone, the same act could be right. The same act could be wrong. The question is, where are we? Where's it coming from? For most people, violence, even for the most incredibly just cause, could be wrong. It could be morally corrupting. It could be dangerous. It's something you don't teach the world to do. Pinchas, that particular moment in history where God's presence was going to be thrown out, where thousands of people were dying as a result, it was actually the right thing to do, but only if it came not on a desire to assert vengeance, not for revenge, not for, not because of anger, not because of fear, not because of all the things that typically motivate people to stand up there and want to do things that hurt others, but paradoxically out of peace and out of love genuine peace and love. See, a person can believe abstractly in peace and love and they see it all going wrong in the world so they want to fly a plane into a building and and shatter the world. That's not peace and that's not love. Inwardly, they are agitated. Inwardly, they are afraid the world's going to go wrong if they don't step forward. Inwardly, they need to control. And that can put control together with visions of peace and love. The more beautiful the vision, the more fearful the person is needing to control, the more horrific the massacres they'll commit in the name of peace and love. A person whose inner harmony is peace and love will never, ever commit violence, unless it's the act that's needed to save the whole world or to save others. Pinchas is in a different mindset. He's in a mindset of kanos, and that Hebrew word kana'os zealousness, can come from the word to control. One flip side vowel it one way, and it becomes kin, like kinyan. I control, I, even koina, I acquire things. It can, it can be jealousy, the desire to control. Vowel it differently, and it's Cain. It's the mother bird nursing her young. It's Kina. It's this sense of inward love, a sense of I don't need to control anything, a sense of I let God run the world and not me. And in that beautiful place where I'm never jealous, Aharon has no jealousy whatsoever. I see you succeed. Oh, that's beautiful, right? The only question Aharon ever asks in any situation is what does God want from me in this place? That's the glory of Hode. Moshe Rabbeinu says, God is in charge, Netzach. Aaron says, and therefore I will step forward into the breach and do whatever God wants me to do, which in 99% of cases is to put more love into the world, more peace into the world. I see an argument in the world. I'm not in control. Hashem's in control. What he, that's Moshe says, Hashem's in control. I'll tell you what the right thing here. I can read you a Torah. Aaron says, okay. But because Hashem's in control, what I hear him say in every scenario is, so here's what I want you to do. It's actually step back forward. Moshe's voice is the voice of Betachon. trust God to run the world. Moshe stands on the mountain when there's a war to be fought. Raises his hands and says, our hands are faith in you, God. And then the war, war is fought. But Aaron is the one who says, yes. And what is God asking me to do right now? Aaron's actions are beautiful in this world. At a particular rare moment, Pinchas is the right thing to do now is take the spear and end this atrocity, right, which is going to slaughter the whole Jewish people and destroy the world. That's what love and peace and the voice of God demands in that situation. In most situations, it demands love and peace. And the people were like, where is this guy coming from? Is it religious fanaticism, right? Is this Pinchas, grandson of Yisra, although he was amazing, converted to Judaism, but he had his idols, he'll become a religious fanatic for the Jews. This is not the right behavior. And God has to intervene and says, no, no, no. This is the world of peace and love. That's where he came from. And that's what made it the right thing to do. And the Yakut Shimoni, one of the ancient Midrashim, says that God wore various cloaks in the world, which means he manifests in different attributes in the world. And kanaus, this sense of not jealousy, not possessiveness, but a stepping back from the world and therefore integrating it in the right way, is the one he wore when it came to the Hanukkah story and gave to the Hasmoneans, to the Hashmonaim, to fight the war. You see, that was what Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, was doing all the way back when he came and took the little jars. Because if you're, not, if you're trying to control the world, you won't care about little jars right? What are the big things, right? Where's my big business that's going to run? I'm busy with that because I need to make lots of money to give lots of charity. Surely that's important. And some fellows in your way right now who needs your care and attention, no, get out of the way. I, I've got to solve the world's problems. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, 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 step out the way, right? You learn Torah, do the mitzvahs, let God run history. Aharon's voice is actually it's step back in the way, but not because I need to run and control the world, because God wants me to interact all the time. So if there's now a person in front of me causing me problems, God wants me to deal with them. And instead of trying to solve the world at that moment, how do I heal the world? By talking to them the way they need to be talked to. My problem that God sent me today is how do I work with this person in my bigger mission to heal the world? Of course, we've got to think about charity that will heal, heal the world, about big things we can do in the community that will change the world. Of course, we've got to do that but we've got to be sensitive to the fact that we're not running that world. That's Hashem. And each interaction we're doing has to be perfected at that moment. have shalom, loving peace. of shalom, pursuing peace. love each individual. the karavan la Torah and bring them to Torah. That's how we've got to operate. Now, you think about it, that's actually what Yaakov, after that struggle, where he goes back there for the little jars, somehow they can be part of God's plan too. Then he wrestles, then he's limping. And then when he comes back to Esau, Esau says, I don't need these gifts. Yaakov says, "Right now, I've got to give you gifts, right? That's how I now interact in the world." And Esau says, "I don't need these gifts. Yeshli rov, I have so much." And Yaakov says, "You can have them, yeshli kol, because I have everything." Yeshli rov, I have so much means I'm trying to possess the world, and he says, "I already have a lot." Yaakov says, no, "You want to have more, don't you?" Yeshli kol, I have everything. How can you have everything? You have everything precisely when you realize both these two polarities that God has everything. And I'm now a part of God's vision for the world. My choices are part of this mosaic called history. Then I have everything. I'm tied into everything because my actions now will ripple across every part of creation, spiritually, mystically, in subconscious ways, and even naturally, in cause and effect ways that I cannot begin to fathom and see. That's what Yaakov has. That is the healing of Yaakov that allows him later on to come shalom to Shechem, complete to the town of Shechem. That healing of his leg is that attribute of, of both Moshe and Aaron. I need to think big picture, but I think big picture by interacting in every detail and moment the way this moment matters now. And that sense of what is the world demand of me in this moment is in fact exactly what the menorah is. That's the, the, the Majestan Chuma in Parashat bar when Aaron says so Moshe says, you know, everybody's got a portion in this temple right, that we built for God. Everybody's got a portion in the Mishkan. Everyone you can tr- wears their gold and their silver and their, and their weaving skills and their everything. And even the princes who stepped back now brought the first offerings. Where am I? And Moshe says to him, don't worry, yours is greater than theirs. Because you're going to be lighting menorah and that will last long after there's any temple. And the, the Madrashtan Khuma, the one I was quoting before, he says, in fact... Aaron turns around to Moshe and, and the Jewish people turn to God and say, why do you even need our lights, God? You know, the temple's only operating, the Mishkan only operates in the daytime and later the Bees HaMikdash, just open the door and let daylight in. Have windows, right? What are we doing? And Hashem replies and says, greater for me than all the light I can bring into the world are the little lights you're bringing into the world. This is the light of the Hanukkah story. And in the final episode, what we're going to see is how this ties into the entire struggle they had with Greece. But let's sum up with where we are so far. Um, because the bit that I want to now tie in for this episode is how that heals Yosef and Yehuda, right? How that heals those two brothers. You see, if we have this deep sense of everything I do, I do because what does God want in me right now? That attribute called netzach and hoid. Netzach, God, you're in charge, Hoyd. And therefore, you want me to do the right thing in every moment. Then Yosef, with all his beauty and charm and his ability to perfect the world as it is now, steps forward. The brothers were afraid he's going to try and manipulate things. But because he was powered by those other attributes, which they didn't realize he was, he was able to be a tzaddik, righteous. That's why he is always able to look people in the eye and say, what do you need from me? And never manipulate anybody. And through his care for everybody, he's able to build the perfect world that's ready to bring Yehuda into it. He's ready to prepare this world for its introduction to a much deeper level. And that's why when, his wife, when the wife of his master is about to try to really seduce him and, and the Gemara describes how he tied his, his nails into the, into the wall and then he, he was on the verge of succumbing and at the key moment he sees the image of his father. But listen to the words he says. He says to his wife, he, he says to his master's wife, he says, There's nobody greater than me in this household. My my master has trusted me with everybody. The only thing he's withheld from me is you because you're his wife. If I would do it, for Khatasilakim, it would be a sin to God. Why not just Cut all that out and just say the last few words. It would be a sin to God, right? It's one of the seven Nachahid laws. It's immoral, right, that uh, the Rashi brings on the Torah, the, 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 the Medrash, the Chazal, the rabbis who say that, that the non-Jews had also um, at that point decided to be strict about immorality. Why, just say it. It's a sin to God. It seems that the overwhelming physical and spiritual power here was so strong, it might have overridden Yosef. It might have been able to overpower him. But one thing you could never overpower within him is his incredible integrity and loyalty. He has that attribute that Aaron will have later. And that's what powers his interaction and the chain, the charm that he brings out. And of course, his chain will become the chanukah. That's what makes him stay pure. That was the bit the brothers are missing. If you've got that inner attribute that chanukah is all about, then when you go out into the world, you'll never be purified and contaminated by the world. Then you'll be able to take the after the as the beauty of Greece, but bring it into the Ohalei Shem, into the tents of the Semitic. You'll be able to bring wisdom in the world and put it in a level of perfection that's ready to introduce the final era when Mashiach ben David, Mashiach the son of King David comes, holds in and brings every single piece of the world that's beginning to connect to one another, put it into one and bring the ultimate Mashiach. So we need that Hanukkah. We need that ability to lean back, and say, my agenda's gone, Hashem. Aharon, step forward. What is your agenda in everything I do? What are the lights you want me to bring into the world in everything I do? And those are the lights of Hanukkah. How does that deal with the specific struggle of the Hanukkah story? That we will hopefully touch in the last little bit of learning together. I hope to see you on that in that part of the share, that part of our learning as well.